loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Sherry Sterling Fernandez. For two decades, Sherry Fernandez has been a speaker, a teacher, a mentor, and is now a best-selling author. Sherry's new USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Life Mastery, Personal Progression Toward an Infinite Potential, tells her rags-to-riches story and explains the principles and tools she used for success. Sherry's taught these principles to hundreds of people who've also found success and the happiness that follows using the Life Mastery program. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you, Cheryl. Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Very delighted to have you. Um, I always read the book, and I did. And uh, I guess I would I would call you a very uh, deeply committed and disciplined person. Uh, <laughs> That's and, probably and, accurate. <laughs> yeah, and and you've 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 um, we tend to get better and better at the things we're good at, right? So over a lifetime, you've gotten incredibly good at it, and I'm sure everyone you work with must find that inspiring. Yeah, I think that's what uh, first got noticed. I first started being asked to speak as uh, people that in my world had known. I was so undisciplined as a teenager, as a young adult, extremely undisciplined, uh, paying bills, being on time, having a pencil when I showed up or something. I mean, whatever it was, a little alcohol problem. And to the, the change from that to being highly disciplined is actually, I guess, my, um, my credibility and my, my uh, I guess, my credibility, what I've done. Mm. I'll discipline myself to create the life I've created when I started with nothing. So, yeah, highly well, and disciplined. It's just about how people, my friends would describe me, I think. Yes, and we, we you know, the, the Jungians would say that there's always a shadow side. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think of that in that regard. But um, uh, what I particularly resonated with in terms of credibility is that you had what most people would consider a pretty rough childhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I know from being a therapist, that can sink us, but it can also grow us. And sometimes it does one thing and then the other, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but <laughs> a little of both, right? A yeah. little of both, but um, yeah. you, you've made the most of it in some way. Uh, I listened to an interview with you where you talked about uh, being a young kid and taking lots of walks and having this, the epiphany that I ha- there's something special in me, right? Yes. Now, uh, it would be hard to imagine nobody helped you to have that epiphany, uh, but still you had it. And it seems as if that's kind of guided your life, yes? Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about back on those years a lot and thought, where in the world? Because there was really, I was adored when I was born, but it didn't last very long because then my three sisters and then divorced by the time I was seven. So, um, yeah, I wondered. And then there was just, it seemed like there was nobody there ever. I was just alone. And there were, I don't, I can't even remember adults in my life. So I, that, that's something must have been, a, maybe the universe provides. I don't know. 
I've wondered a lot of times, there's no answer to it, where that came from. But I just like, I sort of decided, I think, I don't know where it came from. It was a gift. I just, I think of it as a gift that I just said. And, and it's special. I've thought over the years, uh, long and hard about if I had to, if I was able to give one quality to everyone I work with, what would it be? Uh, and, and it, it has come down to uh, basically uh, being able to respond to what happens with a belief you can learn from it and grow from it. Oh, that's good. No, you I know, love and that. it and that's it does good. seem as if that's a big part of what I got from from your book. You can do this thing. You can take these conditions and and uh, make something out of them. Would that be accurate? Oh, totally accurate. I, the you know the premise. Well, it's not even a premise. This is just how it is. Um, I think and if everybody agrees that we're here to be happy, that's our number one uh, thing we all want. We want our children to be happy. We want to be happy. We think the things we're going to do will make us happy. And we understand that when we're stuck, we're not happy. To understand that when we move forward, that's the opposite of being stuck, right? It's also the opposite of being unhappy. We're happy when we move forward. In times of loss, obviously, it's trickier. It takes a little more pulling ourselves together, maybe a little time to do that, maybe we move a little slower, but yeah, I think that's always the answer is um, finding a way to move forward as a whole person and, and, and it's, progress. It's interesting. You may know that I do this show as a result of what I myself learned after my first wife died and uh, what I learned about grieving. And I would say I grieved deeply. I had a lot of different feelings, but I was not unhappy. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it was something about welcoming everything and saying, I can move forward from this, and the next moment I'd be feeling something else. Uh, <laughs> so I never felt stuck, if you will. Uh, That's so that, interesting you say that because I have had this made a similar statement about grief I, a number of times to clients and just in different shows. And I always feel like people look back at me like, what? <laughs> but that you can be happy and grieving at the same time, I think. Some funerals can be like that, right? Family gets together. They rejoiced in this person's life. We're sad that we lost them. We're joyful to be together. Uh, we're happy that, you know, whatever, you know. That, that well, and yeah. And maybe I'm thinking of your definition of happy also, which, which you could share. Uh, it, it's in your title, basically, personal, mm-hmm. personal progression toward an infinite potential. Um, yes. I never felt that, uh, my grief was in the way of that. Uh, no, I think it was an honoring in some sense. Yeah, well, you know, there's a, it's like there's two, pl- that's how I say it. It's like these two planes. There's this like mortal down in the dirt plane, um, yes. a physical plane. And that is where grief and, and, how, and those are important parts of life, by the way. It's not like this is not important. These are important things to experience. But the the plane where we're happy and we're productive and we're growing and we're looking to higher source for enlightenment. All of that stuff happens at a another higher plane, if that makes sense. Um, so well, that's to me, it makes to me it makes yeah. To me, it makes complete sense because I've experienced it. But it's hard to get it across, isn't it? That you could be. A, a lot of times, I'll say to my clients, um, grief involves learning how to live in two places at once. That you can be 
having your life and also be having whatever feelings you're having about that. And it's simultaneous. We're not used to doing that, are we? At least not acknowledging it or being able to see it that way. I think that's true. We don't realize that. And then so I, 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 this is just a, a moment of thought I just now had, but I think sometimes when people are like grieving, for example, and then they feel happy somewhere, then they feel guilty for feeling happy uh, instead of acknowledging that feeling as well, right? I feel yes. guilty because my person died and, and now I'm happy. Now, how, what kind of person would I be to be happy? I, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't well, be happy. Well, there shouldn't. There's not a shouldn't be. <laughs> right. You can be happy you are, you are. at this moment yeah, or at the same time. Sad about this and happy about this. We're very complex. I think it's uh, um, a, a dichotomy. You know, we can be happy and sad at the same time. We can be even, I think you can even be sometimes angry and at peace at the same time. It's oh, interesting. 100%. So complex. 100%. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something I'm, I'm thinking about. A, a particular uh, family I'm working with popped up. A lot of their misery is because uh, they don't think the way they're feeling is okay. It's not the feelings <laughs> themselves. And they sort of stand in, in my mind, for lots of people uh, that um, hold on to a feeling by thinking they shouldn't have it. It lasts longer. I don't know if, if that's something you've noticed. but um, No, it's- Think, I, know, I don't know if you meditate, a lot of people meditate, but it's that idea of letting a thought go, acknowledging it, letting it go. Feelings can be that way throughout the day. We can acknowledge it, but if we try to fight it uh, and beat ourselves up because we have, don't have this feeling or because we do have this feeling, that's not productive. I'm um, listening to, you probably, you, I'm sure you've probably read it. I'm, I'm a little late on, on this one, but The Miracle of Mindfulness. Mm. Yeah, he spends a lot of time. I'm going to butcher the guy's name. He's that Vietnamese guy <laughs> we quote all the time. I know I take <laughs> Thich Nhat Hanh, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, it. A, that's exactly it. I was not about to. I was not about to go there. But um, you know, he's talking about. I just finishing it, but he talks about a lot about that. You know, you just acknowledge the the feeling, and there's not a should and a shouldn't. I don't think, or like some base people say, you shouldn't should all over yourself or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My teacher, Stephen Levine, used to say, you've been should on long enough. <laughs> I, I try That's to get should idea. out of my, as, a, as a, <laughs> a, a mentor, I try to get should out of my vocabulary. It creeps in there still. But I, I try to never say in a coaching session, should. Here's a possibility. You know, here's something you could try. But to never say should, that should word, at least in that context, is not. That, you know, it, it really leads to something I was very interested in talking to you about that I had as a subtext in the course of reading your book, because you're very action-oriented and and inspiring on that level. But I find that a lot of people take that and make an indictment out of it, a self-criticism out of it, and it really holds people up. Um, So I wondered what, I'm sure you've encountered that, right? People who agree to do something or commit to do something, and then they don't, and then they are hard on themselves, <laughs> yes. which, which is the opposite of helpful. It isn't uh, helpful to beat ourselves up wherever our weaknesses are. If we're, if we're consistently running late or not filling commitments, we need to go to work and do something about it. But, you've, you know, I talk about in the book, and you might remember this, about the formula for happiness or peace is contentment plus progress. Uh, We have to accept, okay, this is where I'm at. It's okay. 
but I'm a person who wants to be better and I'm going to work on this and be better. I'm really about the nuts and bolts of personal progress, down to earth, boots on the ground, let's get it done. But stopping and beating yourself up, oh my God. In a way, it's almost like um, uh, you get stuck there because people think, well, but obviously I'm a good person because I feel bad about always being late. I feel <laughs> bad that I never follow through. So obviously I'm a good person. So that, you know, so you get stuck in that thinking, uh, okay, but it's, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to move forward, right? Um, in a way that's a way of staying there so you don't have to do anything. Um, <laughs> well, so. but interestingly, most people I know who had the childhood you had, divorce, moving, etc. You know, seven-year-olds think, think in some sense it's something about them. But you don't seem to have a whole lot of self-critical struggle. Uh, but maybe you did earlier. and, and <laughs> Some self-criticism is in it, uh, later and as an adult. What I didn't have, and again, I don't know why, and I, this is not an indictment on anybody else in their experience, but I had the, some of the typical things that are going to happen to you as a child – uh, it wasn't extreme as some people's, but I, had, I was molested, a stepfather thing. I was a little pretty neglected. My mom had too many kids and not enough money or time to do with us. We moved constantly, lots of upheaval. My, my uh, parents were married to each other, divorced, married somebody else, divorced them, married each other, later got divorced again. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff, but I never felt like a victim of any of that. The molestation, for example, it was just a thing that happened to me. It wasn't like, it didn't, mean, it didn't mean anything to me. It was a thing, you know, like just a thing. It, and I was surprised to be older and find out that for other people, it was a big traumatic thing. And for me, it was just a thing that happened I didn't like. And that was all. Well, and it, so it, I never felt victimized by my childhood. One of my friends said, I said, you know, I don't think I've ever had any. I were walking and talking. She was a close friend. We walked a lot together. She said, I said, I never feel like I've had any real adversity in my life. And she said, <laughs> She's like, are you kidding me? Look at all these things that happened to you. I, said, I just didn't see it that way, you know. I just, not not for any, like, a superior thing about me. It just is the way I made up. I it's just, just your, uh, so you've been blessed by an action-oriented and positive outlook. <laughs> whatever, yeah. Right? Whatever You're happened, that's how it worked for me. Nobody uh, told me I was a victim, so I just didn't, and I didn't feel like one. So <laughs> I just <laughs> worked out really well. I have to say, I had to cultivate that in myself. I'm I'm a realistic optimist in my life now, but I wouldn't say I was as a young person. Uh, lots of things I took really hard. <laughs> it took really bad, bad things happening for me to say, oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> moving, that's not such a big deal, <laughs> right? But um, Another bad thing I thought wasn't so bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gave me a lot of perspective, perspective. and humor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but I, you know, I think it's important. We can kind of set this up for the next segment in these last few minutes. Um, what that's led to in your life is a tremendous capacity to decide what you want in, in your life and uh, do the things that it took to make those things happen. Mm -hmm. And that's inspiring to people. Uh, and of course, to know all about that, they'd have to read the book. But um, I think it might be interesting for you to share all the different parts of living that you find important. 
you know, that people really do need to pay attention to uh, physical, uh, you know, uh, uh, spiritual relationship. Uh, you can name them quicker than me probably at the moment. But um, are you capable as a person of progressing in all those areas at once? And if the answer is yes, can you share some of how you do that? Yeah, the answer is yes. In fact, if personal, personal progression towards an infant potential, if we, we often think in terms, especially in, in personal development, a lot of it is business-oriented or money-oriented like that. Um, that problem with that, if we end up with a, just a goal like that or even fitness or relationship, we just end up with one thing we're just focusing on, uh, we lose ground in the other areas. And so, there's not really progression, right? So, we need to be aware. Not we're going to progress evenly all the time, but we, if, if being stuck or backsliding is unhappiness in some area um, and progression is, is happiness, well, if I'm losing ground here, then I'm not going to still be happy, right? So, in other words, maybe, maybe my, I'm making my business go, putting everything into this business that I have. I can't have time to work out. I don't have time to eat right you know, I don't, well, I'm not going to be happy because I know my body isn't being taken care of and I don't feel good. Right. So I need to be aware of my physical self. If I'm, if I'm doing these other things, but my relationships, I have no time for that. I feel this nagging sensation that my primary relationship is suffering, but right now I just don't have time because I'm doing these other things. Well, that's not going to be happiness because we have this nagging thing that my relationship needs to be worked on. It's backsliding. Mm. So uh, progression, all these eight areas. Do you want me to name them off? As soon as we come back from break, break, because it's just about time for the break, and I don't want to uh, shorten it. (laughs) I think that's a really key piece of what you're talking about. So we'll, we'll go to break. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Sherry Fernandez, go to lifemasteryinfo.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Sherry Sterling Fernandez about her book, Life Mastery. And Sherry, before the break, uh, we were referring to these areas in, in life, uh, areas of attention that all, uh, all can happen from your view, and we're going to get into talking about that simultaneously. Um, could, you, could you just run those down for people, which areas... Uh, need to be attended to at least a little bit to to find happiness? Yes. Um, so I've got eight areas, and I, there's actually an assessment on the website that you end in the book that you can use to kind of evaluate where you're at. It's not like the whole uh, everything about everything in life, but to give you an idea of how you're doing. But first is physical. I learned when I owned my fitness business, that fitness and um, also personal development. Uh, two parts of business. And um, I realized that people did, they needed to start with physical most of the time. They need to get the control of the physical self. And it makes sense because we, we're, this is the instrument through which we think and live and grow and, and feel. So we need our, inst- and, and we think about it all the time when we're not taking good care of ourselves, it nags at us all the time. So physical, meaning we're working on it, right? Not that we've arrived, but we're working on it and have it under control. Spiritual, Ryan Holiday said, if we uh, loved his book, Stillness is the Key, he said, if our bodies were numb, we'd rush to the doctor to find out what's wrong. We said a lot of us are walking around spiritually numb and have not, not even, and we're not even concerned, right? So we, we all need to grow somewhat spiritually and however that looks for you. And obviously, I offer some suggestions on where you could start. Relationships, education, and that's a continuing thing, right? Not just a degree. Money, money is an important thing in life. The more you have, the more good you can do. Vocation, that's what we do this productive every day. You have clients and do your, your podcast. I wrote my book and I see clients. Whatever it is that you do, uh, volunteer work or, or to provide for your family, that's your vocation. Lifestyle, so that we make sure that we're not so busy pursuing all our other goals that we forget to stop and smell roses, so to speak, so that we develop a lifestyle that we enjoy, uh, a surroundings, activities, things that we enjoy and that make life worth living. And then character. Character I added late. I did seven areas for a really long time. And just before I wrote the book, it nagged at me that I had several clients that couldn't be on time. They just struggled with being on time. And I thought, where should we put this goal? Which of these areas should we put our goal in being on time? Mm-hmm. So, so I was also thinking about language about that time, about um, how coarse language has become. And it's not really, really, doesn't show much character, right? And so I, I felt really inspired to add the category of character. And I felt very pleased that and inspired that I did that. So those are the eight areas. So as long as we're looking at, like right now, challenging all my clients to go through all eight areas and set at least one goal. If you're weak in an area, set stronger goals. If you're strong in that area, maybe set a lighter goal or refine the goals you already have and just be aware of all of them so that we don't lose one part of ourselves while we pursue another area. And so it's not from your view really about, uh, perfecting oneself as it is about forward motion, about improvement. Absolutely. We're not going to arrive. And in fact, 
we talk a lot about smart goals and and we've done they've done studies the smart goal thing you know where goals are like um, specific and measurable and attainable and relevant and time sensitive that thing that's good for action steps but it's not that good for goals that uh, studies have shown actually that people who pursue uh, outlandish goals big hairy audacious goals as I borrowed Jim Collins phrase. Uh, those people are happier. So really the ultimate goals that we have for our relationships, for our money, for our education, but they really are, they're limitless, right? They're in what I call infinite goals. And um, so, yeah, we're not going to arrive. If you arrive, you haven't set your, you haven't set your goal very high, right? Um, there's always- <laughs> Or you're dead. Or you're dead, right? Yeah, or you're dead. It's the progression though that makes you happy. It's personal progression that makes us happy, not arriving to something's always going to be another thing to do, right? You, it's like that climbing that mountain uh, cliche. There's always another mountain. So, and that's what, it's good because we wouldn't be happy if we didn't have the journey because it's a journey that makes us happy. You know, you're, you're reminding me of a group I was in for a long time. I'm, I'm going to say, well, it was definitely over a decade, maybe 15 years. And I was the youngest in the group. Uh, so that I watched a lot of people, you know, uh, work, then retire, then have after. Yeah, you know, I watched people way ahead of me, and I noticed that actually they were still continuing to grow and change and evolve, and I found it incredibly comforting. You yes. know, it it was a it was a a develop a, a group of people committed to that, but the fact that it didn't stop um, reassured me. And uh, maybe some some people would be frustrated by it, like, oh, you mean there's no point at which I'm done? <laughs> but I didn't find it so at all, right? No. It was just the things they were responding to and growing about and changing about obviously weren't the same from year to year. But um, that motion was was the same. And it was... a. a a much more satisfied group of people than the general population. No, I think that's really true. We see a lot of people that are trying to hold on to the same way of life while life changes, while the kids grow up, the grandkids come down, they're still holding to that, trying to live the same rhythms of life. I think the, um, and I've made some of the same observation and, and from my own life, I, we in the business world, they call it pivot, but you, um, you pivot or you reinvent yourself regularly through life. When I settled down, the stories in the book, of course, when I settled down and got married, I went from that hippie party lifestyle. I reinvented myself and I was a mom and I was, you know, going to church and I was a church lady and I was canning food. And I, I was, I made all, and then later I made, I used to entertain and make these seven course meals. Now I don't cook at all. <laughs> you know, I, I had the big house and all that stuff. I had six kids, you know. And all of that stuff. Now I live in a downtown condo and I don't even clean it. I have somebody who does all that, you know, and, but I'm doing this. <laughs> I had my fitness business. And, and I think that's, that is, sometimes you feel a little tired. Sometimes I think, oh, you know, <laughs> ain't dead, can't quit. And sometimes I think, okay, <laughs> I'm done. But You're uh, done, done for the day. <laughs> I'm, done, I'm done earlier at, at 68 <laughs> than I was at 60. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's some of that. I think I, I push myself. I push myself. I push myself. No, I don't think in unhealthy ways as a rule. But I'm always looking for the next goal, the next thing, the next thing I want to do. And then sometimes you think, oh, man, I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah, that has to be a part of it too. Yeah, that's but, a part of you it. know, just on the chance that that uh, there are people listening who are 
navigating parenting, uh, a, a, a demanding work life, and all the other things too. I'm impressed that it appears that you uh, followed these principles that we're talking about of making progress in all areas, even when you were raising six children. Is yes. that accurate? That's really so, accurate, yes. <laughs> so I would like to have a picture of, of what a day looked like when all those six were still in your home right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I only had three quite apart, quite, quite far apart in age. And still, I felt like I was uh, getting them to their things for many hours a day, right? <laughs> uh, and doing my work. And there's a lot to balance in that. Uh, I don't think I did the worst at it. But I have a feeling you kept more of it going than I was able to. So can you give me a picture of how you did that? Um, well, my day was starting off with, you know, well, let me say this. And I teach every, I don't care if you've got little kids or a work day or whatever. This is what I did. And I found this to be, I experiment and I, some days I didn't do it. I said, no, this doesn't work. You work on you first. So to work out, to make sure I got my reading in, my spiritual, devotional time, for me time, my personal development, it came first, period, across the board. And if the laundry didn't get done, I could do the laundry tomorrow. But I couldn't work out to do today's workout tomorrow. I couldn't do today's prayer tomorrow. I couldn't do today's meditation tomorrow. Um, and so those daily habits came first. And they came first in the day for me. So I would get up early before my kids got up, obviously. And then I had kids. They're, they're 15 years from one end to the other. So I could have a child in senior in high school and have one not started school yet, right? So they were all over mm -hmm. the place. And then the days as they got, once I had all six of them and they were kind of up and, and not babies anymore, um, Full days of school, and then we did. We had did all the sports, you know, um, uh, dance lessons. There were costumes and and carpools and sports equipment, all that stuff to organize. And then that was my days in house cleaning and cooking and canning, which I garden. I was also had a beautiful garden. I was really well known for my garden. I was the lady with the garden. I was those ladies with the garden. So I did all that stuff during the day. The evenings we were really pretty good to not let the activities overwhelm our family life. So we spent our evenings, dinner, always had family dinners. And then Ken and I, the kids, well, as they got older, it was harder, but they went to bed and we had time alone. And so that's why we structured it. So, and I think this is the way that life should be structured. In the morning, you do you, then you have, and I talk about this in the book, during the day, you have your productive vocation time. In the evening, you have your relationship time. And if you so it was that structure that helped uh -huh. you. It's a structure. Also, right. Also, what I would say, um, I don't think you quite said in the book, although it was implied, uh, is parents should put, should, that terrible word, but uh, <laughs> it works best for parents to put themselves first. Yes. And that yes. is a concept that is so hard for so many parents to embrace. But of course... Uh, I agree with that because if you're not happy, no one's happy. No, you don't have anything to give. And it's like, you know, it's the old, it's the, again, an old cliche, but like the airplane, you put your oxygen mask on you first and then on your child. If you don't take good care of you, you don't have enough to give. And furthermore, even more importantly, we think we're raising children, telling them how to live. We're showing them how to live. I'll have moms come in to talk to me. And especially when I have my fitness business, and they'd be like, 
You know, they're just, they're, well, I'm too busy taking care of my kids. And I mean, they're frazzled, they're overweight, they're not taking good care of themselves. And I'll say, you have a daughter. If your daughter was your age and living like you are, would you be happy about it? And they'd be like, no, I would not, right? Mm-hmm. You show yes. your children how to live. You show your children how to take good care of you. And then you have the ability to take care of them and, and whatever other things you have to do. But if you don't take care of you, you're, you become an empty vessel. And it's that filling your own vessel and developing yourself so you have more capacity all of the time. I really resonate with that. And I've thought about it more since I am no, I I think I did it not too badly when I was raising children, but I've thought about the importance in this context more since they're all raised, which is that um, you're doing two jobs. You're making sure they live, you know, (laughs) keeping them alive alive and and nourishing them in, in various ways. But you also are exemplifying adulthood, right? Uh, Showing them by being an adult what an adult looks like. And that is so often understated when you're actually in the midst of keeping them alive. Um, But it's uh, it's key, isn't it? It is key. It is key. And it's probably one of the most important reasons to take care of yourself is so you can teach them how to do that and uh, so they can be happy and fulfilled. There's no, a lot of uh, mothers I find with, um, well, of any number of children, uh, feel they're going around putting out fires all the time. And that, and, and in the business world too, if you've got a job, you do the, you tend to do the same thing. We put out fires here and there and there, and it makes us feel important. But the reality is, those things might feel urgent, but they're not important. The important things are getting lost in the urgent things which would probably resolve themselves if we let them go. So, for example, um, as when my children got a little bit older, I started teaching an early morning class. It was very early. It was at 6.30 in the morning. So now I can't work out in the morning. So now my, my kids are all in school at this point or graduated, one graduated. Um, so I had to work out at 9 o'clock. And so my kids needed homework, their lunch. Oh, mom, I forgot my whatever. I'm sorry, I'll be there at 10, but I can't come at nine because at nine I work out, right? So it, it sounds urgent when the kid calls, I'm missing this thing. Oh my gosh, I got to run this thing to my kid. You know what? They can wait an hour. I've never, I mm-hmm. rarely found in this circumstance where they couldn't wait an hour. Yeah, if, unless, they, unless they fall off the jungle gym and break their yeah. arm. <laughs> if you're bleeding or, you know, you're, you're, you're um, dying, then I am there. <laughs> if you've broken a bone, but if, it le- if it's not that urgent, then I, I need to stick with me. Now, I'm gonna, I'd be lying if I said I did this perfectly, but I was pretty good. And the longer mm-hmm. I, you know, the more time went on, the better I got because I recognized that at the end of the day, my days felt happier if I made sure that I did the things I need to do for me. And I didn't feel so bad if I missed the laundry or I missed getting groceries or I missed or dinner had to be maybe not so great. I didn't feel that bad about that. But I, no, did I, I learned I to live quite happily with, with mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for exactly that reason, you know, it would have taken away too much to, to be upset about it. Like my mother was, for instance. And, you know, I want to bring uh, this time of the pandemic into this because um, I've been watching, of course, 30 plus people in my practice and uh, my own family responding to that. And I've, uh, I've noticed a few things that I would love to, to talk with you about. 
Uh, one thing I noticed is that people who learned to pivot because of some other experience did it more quickly mm-hmm. and, and didn't tend to fault themselves because they were uh, feeling something about it, right? <laughs> you right. know, right. Didn't tend to yeah, didn't tend to compare themselves like, well, why should I be upset? They just were like, yeah, this is upsetting. Now what am I going to do next? So that's the first thing I noticed. The second thing I've noticed over this almost two years is that uh, this period of time has gotten many people's attention. I'll use my daughter as an example. She's now saying, I need to work less, less hard. This time of being, uh, being quarantined with my family has, ta- has taught me how important that is. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, She's a very, very driven person. Uh, I don't know if she would have learned it in the same way, right? So what are we getting out of it as well as what's hard about it? Um, And we have just a couple more minutes. I'd love to hear your starting thoughts and then maybe come back to that, to that what, what does this terrible time, which is terrible in so many ways, what, what also has happened that's surprising? You know, the COVID only is, only amplified or magnified what life is all the time is obstacle, uh, you know, one obstacle after another. We just had a bigger obstacle and it was sort of a universal obstacle was with COVID. And so I saw, I observed the same thing. And I thought it was just a little more striking in the difference. Some people who got caught up in the news, got caught up in the worry. And at first, I think, I mean, I, I had a little trouble in there, too, at the beginning. I was like, what? Uh, of course. Little, right? <laughs> We're normal um, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I had to I had to go back and sort of, okay, what is it that I know? And what do I, you know, what do I know? And what do I, and, and uh, apply those things. But here's the bottom line. It, whether it's COVID or a family, a tragedy, or it's just everyday life or an obstacle right now, there's two ways to respond. You can wring your hands and wish it was different. Or you can see the bright side and go to work on you. See what is right, what the opportunities are. I live right downtown. A lot of businesses downtown, restaurants, bars, that kind of thing. Some of the restaurants found new ways of doing things. They worked with less staff. They found new delivery systems, better methods. They found better ways to sanitize their restaurants. How can I get more people in? They made more outside space. And then others closed their doors and waited for it to be over. Well, guess which ones are? So some of these actually made our businesses, we have several of them, and our businesses did better during COVID than they did before. And we aren't the only ones. A lot of businesses were that way. They found new ways to do business if necessary, ways to work around it, and they're strong. Yes, and obviously. The same thing, they found ways to work around it are stronger. Let's come back to that because it's in my uh, world, both are important, recognizing what's hard and knowing that you can respond to it, right? Yes. So let's give that a little more time after we're back. And, and listeners, you can go to my, my weatheringgrief.com website or the Good Grief Post page to get in touch with me in any way you like. And to find Sherry Fernandez, go to lifemasteryinfo.com. Back soon. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Sherry Sterling Fernandez about her book, Life Mastery. And before the break, we, we kind of were dipping into this uh, COVID time. Uh, and I liked what you said. I, uh, I was calling it at the beginning uh, a global grief, right? Uh, the difference it, was that it was happening to everyone. Of course, we're all in different boats, um, but, but the same sea, um, I guess we could say. Some people were in the water, I guess. Um, but during this time, I mean, you probably had to pivot too as someone in the coaching business, yeah? Uh, yes, I was in the midst of some uh, uh, workshops. I just had started them, and we had won, and then there's COVID. So we said, okay, we tried to wait it out for a little bit, so no, we'll just do it on, uh, on Zoom. And I did it on Zoom. It was very successful. But I thought, yeah, you know, that's not my jam. I, I like the personal interaction. I don't need to do them. So I, I'm just starting my workshop. Next week, I'm starting a new series of workshops. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, I, things changed. But then I wrote my book. You know, that's when I started writing um, Life Mastery. And would I have written it without COVID? I travel a ton and we couldn't travel. I don't know how long it would take me ever if I got it written, but I... I was grounded. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I we're, we're kind of exemplifying that, that principle of accepting the reality and then, and then responding to it. I, I have a dear friend, but we haven't really seen each a little further out. So we haven't really seen each other in the pandemic, but um, I reached out for her birthday. How are you doing this and that? And she uh, is a musician who, uh, travels all over the world doing music with refugees as a healing uh, art. She's incredibly powerful. And I was like, wow, she can't travel. Amakela, the, the, the lead-in music on my show is her music. She can't travel. What is she doing? 
And so I asked her, how has this time been? And she said, oh, my gosh, it's been so wonderful to just stay home, eat the eggs the chickens are producing. You know, she went into rapturous. (laughs) And I'm like, yep, you're a person who can pivot. Right. Because um, some people stayed miserable much longer. (laughs) Uh, I like to recognize the misery and then say, "Okay, what next? And uh, it it sounds kind of like you're inclined that direction yourself. No, I've got to move on. And, you know, this this coaching and teaching just flows out of me like I just I is going to find an outlet somewhere. And as you've asked me the question about uh, for me, what it was like, um, I wouldn't, I don't, as I'm thinking about it, I, I still saw clients. So I did do that all through uh, 2020, but then I got to write the book. And so it gave me another way to an outlet for teaching um, the things I felt like I needed to teach and get out there. So I think it was a blessing for me. I still traveled some, but you know, you couldn't travel like before. So yeah, I guess I pivoted is what I did, Cheryl. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, because I work in grief, I'm always really careful to say the loss was, is not a blessing to me, but what I make out of it usually is. Right. Oh, yeah. But well put. And, and I think that's what you're talking about. You've yes. made something out of it you truly value. And once, and once we do that, uh, you know, I used to think uh, if it was, <laughs> it was possible in the universe, would I want my first wife to come back right well first of all that would be a nightmare because i'm married to someone else <laughs> but <laughs> that would be, um, <laughs> be very i used to dream about it when i first met my now wife uh you know they were they were just really close to nightmares honestly but but aside from that uh i i wouldn't make the trade i wouldn't want to give up what I learned. Yes. And uh, the truth of of adversities like that, isn't it? Uh, Well, you hear these great stories, people have extreme adversity and say, would you, would you go back and not have that? And they, they wouldn't, you know, Uh, and I feel the same way. Some of the hardest things that ever happened to me, I don't want to do it again. Like the poverty experience in our early marriage, like it was very good. It was sanctifying. I learned a ton, but I don't want to do it again. (laughs) And I think the adversity is like that. And the loss is like that. You don't lose anybody else, you know. I just want to learn what what I can from what I've already experienced. Yeah, well, and to to see that that's the deciding factor mm-hmm. is our capacity to uh, to make something out of it, and within your own gifts, because obviously um, my gifts are different from your gifts are different from the next person's, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, totally. That's, uh, such, that's very insightful. That is true. We have to do. I, what I used to say, a lot of people have asked me in the interviews, you know, what about COVID? And, and I, my answer is often the same thing. It's like, it doesn't matter whether it's an, a pandemic or it's you want to change the, the problems with race or you don't like your government, whatever it is that you feel needs to be fixed, your relationship, your marriage isn't good or whatever it is out there, the answer is always to look within and change you. It's always the same. Go, go to work and you do you. You do your work, your projects, your things that you do, and you just go to work on you and your world. And that's how there's a ripple effect. And then you go out into the world and it's going to affect um, 
the people around you. And that's how we change the world. We, and we hope, hopefully the people that really need the message you have to offer find you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. And you too as well. I mean, those who need us, hopefully they'll find us. And that's hopefully they do. Yeah. yeah that's but, my prayer too. but again, isn't, isn't that a matter of, of um, fully doing what you do? <laughs> you know, how, how are you going to be findable if you're not doing it? Right. It's interesting you bring that part up because I said, I've got two yesterday. Uh, so Monday morning, I said, I've got to myself, I said, I've never advertised for clients. I always, they just find me and uh, I don't need to do, I, I keep it pretty limited because I can protect my lifestyle. So I only work with a limited number of people. And I said, well, I've got spots for two people. Monday morning, by the <laughs> by, two, by the end of Monday, two people had approached me. They're they not signed on, but by the end of Tuesday, I'm doing these workshops, and the owner of the business that I'm doing this for said, "I would like for all of my my employees, even after the workshop, to do one-on-one coaching." Well, I don't take that many people, right? So now all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things going on. I have other people that work with me. So it's just if somebody's interested in mentoring, we certainly can take care of you. But um, I, all of a sudden, I went from too short to like abundance <laughs> in the question of two days. It's, it's, really, it's really interesting to watch this kind of business in that regard. I've had that experience too. I have to say that my, my wife trusts it more deeply than I do sometimes. Because she observes it from the outside. Oh, you needed a little time and, and three people canceled, you know, <laughs> or oh, yes. that kind of thing. Um, it's harder to see that when you're, when you're too close to it, right? But she'll say, ah, yeah, no, no worries. You got that time you needed. Or uh, ironically, right before the pandemic, um, I'm not going to take responsibility for it, though. But right before the pandemic, I was hoping for more geographic flexibility. And actually, I have that now because I work on Zoom. <laughs> so, you know. so you're, it's your fault we have a pandemic then. <laughs> I, apparently. I don't know. Uh, there, there are those accidents of um, synchronicity that I, I won't take responsibility for, but it it wasn't interest when I realized, oh, I got that, not in the way I would have wanted, you know. Uh, <laughs> it was startling. I, I, amazing things happen, don't they? Like you said about people canceling. I've had some, this happens every so often. You've had that day where, like, I've got too much schedule. I don't know how I can do the whole day. I'm on my knees. I'm praying for help. I'm like, how am I going to do this? And then three people cancel, right? And all of a sudden, I had this really nice, pleasant, <laughs> extra time day. So many miracles happen just every day when we watch for them. Um, I like that comment about be realistic, expect a miracle. Miracles are just all around us, and they just… Um, yeah, I'm guessing you know the, uh, the Einstein quote, uh, which is in the same, the same vein, which is uh, you can live your life as if nothing is a miracle or as if everything is yes. a miracle. And everything is such a miracle. It is just, and the more we open our eyes to it, like any other muscle we develop, the more we, we learn to recognize the miracles, the more that we see. And it's a good practice to watch for them. I liked one idea in your book, and maybe it's a good place to wrap up with, which is um, you kept things on the list that were consistently happening so that you could notice, that one could notice that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's so important because I've noticed with clients, uh, they'll often, as soon as they make progress in some area, they don't bring it up again. And I have to bring it up and ask them, is it still happening? And then they, one, they lose the satisfaction that they've actually made a change. And two, they lose the inspiration that they can make changes. No, that's a, so, that's a good, that is a good point. You know, I, do, I teach about these tracking sheets and how you develop daily habits. I started that in my 20s. I started with three habits. Uh, two of those, I still, I know a lot more. I still, 45 years later, uh, almost 40, 40 plus, plus years, I still track those. I, all, I never miss. I always do them, but I like to watch those little checks across the page and it builds momentum for my day. I have clients too that want to drop those things and I'll, it's up to them. They can't, maybe it doesn't work for them, but for me to see the momentum that I've, the things I have accomplished, it gives my day some momentum and satisfaction. And then there's things I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this water thing, you know, and I'm not the fitness queen, right? I resonated. You brought that up in the book, and I resonated. I I've, still I've made progress, but I still struggle. And I've got it wrapped into my work. Uh, you know, I take a, a thing of, of water to work, but on the weekends, I completely forget. <laughs> yes, that's how I'm too good for three or four days, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I get a busy day, and then there I am. But, so I, I practice right. with systems. I keep it on my tracking sheet. And I get four or five days good, three or four days off, but I'm, I'll get it down. It might take <laughs> it's a long one. It might take a little longer, but I'll get this one down. But So there's things you're working on, things you've done, things you mostly do, but maybe miss here and there. But watching them add up, watching what you do every day keeps you honest with yourself. And also, on the one hand, on the other hand, keeps you inspired for what else you can do. I like those rows of checks, but the blank spots. Yes. You know, I think, okay, there's the work to be done. And I can see clearly by a glance at my tracking sheet where the work, where I need to, where I need to improve. I, I am, I am definitely impressed by, by that in you. I'm not sure I'll ever quite be that person. I'm a little more, I'm a little more free flowing in my, but, but the principles are similar. Notice what you do. Notice what you'd like to do more of and go from there. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for being with me today. And it was I hope a pleasure, Cheryl. I hope people will go look look for your book at lifemasteryinfo.com. Uh, next week, I'll have Jessica DeLong, author of Saved at the Seawall, Stories from the September 11th Boat Lift. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.